listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend, Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Buggs. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk week, and that means I'm here with my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, man? It's good to be back on, as usual. This is good times. It absolutely is good times, and there's a lot going on in the world of film and the world in general, and we never seem to be able to get it all in in time on these indie talks um so much a little so much a little inside baseball on what we do here is the goal is to make these conversations about 30 minutes long 35 minutes long and just touch a few topics get you in and out of your day something to think about in the world of film and entertainment as you go about your week and even though we try our best to do that, the end result is that we talk for 45 minutes to an hour every single time. And it's so difficult to shave that extra 15 to 30 minutes off when you have so many opinions and so much, uh, so many opinions and so many things to say about a particular subject. And so because of this, I think we really are going to lean, this might not start until 2022, but I think we are going to lean towards daily indie talks maybe every other day maybe we slow roll it for you guys and we say okay monday wednesday friday maybe we do five days a week and just take the weekends off and then that way we're just able to hit you really quick with 30 minutes a day something good little touch points and get more topics done so for example one thing that we won't talk about today but i'm sure people wanted to hear our opinions on is uh, the situation on rust, the set of rust, right? Because it kind of fell in between weeks for us. So it's like, it's a little bit of old news now, although it shouldn't be cause it's a tragedy. So I don't want to talk about a thing that seems a little bit, you know what I mean, Nick? Like we're going to go back in and dive deep on this issue and everything that has been said and could be said about it has already been in the news cycle. Whereas if we were to do this daily or somewhere live, like on call-in or club, Clubhouse or, or YouTube, we would have been able to talk about that like one hour after the news broke because we were talking about it all in our personal group chat Yeah, one hour after the news broke. And the week before, the indie talk before, what was it? It was the, it was the Dave Chappelle thing, right? It was like, okay, do we want to talk about Ted Sarandos? Do we want to talk about the closer? We do. We definitely have an opinion. But those opinions had been out for four or five days and it just seemed kind of corny for us to bring it up simply because it seems like it's the thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And it can feel like that sometimes, but I think that the slight difference for us is that, um, I don't know, we don't, we don't have those same opinions, right? And I say the same opinions. There's a lot of recycling of content out there, right? So there's recycling of the opinions, 
So the things that are fresh in the news cycle, if you dip in, like you can step out and not be involved in it, you jump in, you're going to read article A and it's going to say X. Your friend's going to read article B and it's going to say X. Your other friend's going to read article Z is going to say X. It's the same thing over and over again. So even like with Rust, again, we're not going to talk about it, but even with that, you see a lot of it's just like, you know, we don't know how that happened and there's protocols and there's safety. I'm just going to say this because we're not going to talk about it. I don't understand how live ammunition got on set. Like if from all the stuff that you hear, all the stuff that you read, it doesn't happen. Or you don't, there's no reason for it to be on set like at all. So why was it there? Their, their turnarounds, my understanding is their turnarounds were faster by not having to use Foley to get the sound of shells, empty shells hitting the ground. So they were using live ammo so that that happened in real time and, and you got a more real sense and you say, wait, 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 so, so Alec Baldwin was going to point a gun at a person with that live round in it. So they didn't have to worry about the Foley. No, we don't yeah, say like this, I, this I, doesn't I, happen. I'm still, like, well, mine's still blown. That, that's, I, that's what I'm saying. Like this that's isn't the, what it said. I mean, that's what I've read. I should say. And that's, that's my point. Again, we're not going to talk about it. Right. But there's this to me, I'm like, this isn't a quote unquote safety issue. Who put, live rounds in the gun who brought live rounds to the set like all the protocols tell you that that shouldn't even happen in the first place so that's my thing it's like how did the live rounds get on set how did they get in this gun how did someone actually say is cold when it wasn't like this man this is c-o-n-spiracy talk right this is one of those like this isn't just Oh my goodness! Maybe we should never have guns on set. And they had, oh my gosh, the they safety had protocols. So many live. They had so, so much live ammo. To me, the yeah, question they, is the last one you asked. How does it get into the gun? Yeah. Like instead, instead what are we doing? Instead of the the blanks, right? It or, doesn't make sense. Or, or at instead all. of in, or instead of anything, and because the thing that jumped out to me right away, and you know, we called a bunch of people to talk and get their opinions. People who work. Uh, I thought even about bringing on like Josh Moody or some of the other cinematographers we worked with, Katie Amen, and just talk about like what would that have been like from your perspective or whatever. But um, I I don't know how you get that into the gun and how you have that on set when the first thing you're taught as a producer is to mitigate risk. That's what that's Man. what everyone's saying. That's the confusing part, because the whole thing is to remove risk. The, the whole phrase movie magic comes from the fact that you are presenting risk to the audience without having actually taken it. It doesn't exist. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, I, that's the whole the, thing. Like I said, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not talking about this. <laughs> we're not talking <laughs> Whatever no. everyone just heard, that isn't us talking about it. That's right. We're not talking that's about us it. just making a couple of quips. Yep. That's just it. Just saying some things. Don't understand it. That's it. So what are what we are going to talk about today, though, Nick? It's something we teased on the last indie talk, and that was yep. the Hillman Rising Voices program. And the fact that they give you an unusual sum of money 
if you are part of this program or I believe win uh, the prize. And then uh, we also kind of want to talk about, we don't want to kind of talk about it. We also want to talk about <laughs> Meta. Yeah. Meta, the new Facebook or how Facebook and Zucks have changed their name to Meta. Some of those implications and just a little bit about why with all this talk and fear around AI, uh, that our general belief is that the creator is never going to be diminished, the true human creator and creative. So let's jump in with the human rising voices thing, Nick. Uh, I think you have some information. I was being a bit vague intentionally. Why don't you school us on what this is? Yeah, so it's a Hillman grad, uh, and that's a, a you know, production company uh, created by Lena Waithe. You know, she's doing so many big things. You know, I, I hate to even say in Hollywood, right? Because she is kind of in the upper echelon of things right now, but I think she's creating new opportunities uh, for BIPOC, you know, filmmakers, you know, out there, um, Black, Indigenous people of color. Uh, but with Hillman grad, they also have this partnership that they've done with Indeed, and it's called the Rising Voices Program. And, you know, I, I happened upon this, I think it was actually during uh, one of the film festivals. And then, you know, they've got a, you, a ton of the us, content. So, sorry to jump in. Will you tell us yeah, what Indeed is? Oh, so Indeed, you know, if you're if you're looking for a job, you know, that's, that's I, you know, same, I hate the to, same Indeed. Okay. Yeah, it's the same Indeed. So if you're looking for a job, you know, people are going to the monster and these days they go to Indeed. Uh, but they have the partnership with Indeed. And um, the Rising Voices program is a is a program for BIPOC filmmakers. And they had, I can't remember how many people um, actually applied and then and then won. Uh, basically, it's kind of like a fellowship, you know, to Hillman Grant, if you will. And uh, you get to make a short film. And they give you 100K to make your short film. And these films are available on uh, Amazon Prime Video. They might be available a couple um, other places. Uh, and I watched probably five or six of the films, right? And, and it was good, not only watching the films, but also watching some of the kind of behind the scenes of the Rising Voices program. And just, you know, hearing the filmmakers talk about, you know, one, how excited they were to win this, you know, this, this fellowship, um, how excited they were to win $100,000 to make a short film. And then, yeah, and then the other side of it, which was, the mentorship that they got from, you know, filmmakers in the industry. And, you know, you, you just said it a hundred thousand dollars and admittedly, you know, that was the first thing that kind of struck me, right. Is that you have a fellowship to make a short film and your short film is a hundred thousand. And I'm, I'll just admit first reaction was like, Oh my gosh, it's way too much money. Right. Like, what are we doing? Like, lean away at the love you, love the stuff that you do. It's awesome. I appreciate you. But why are you giving them so much money like that? When they when they step out of this program and back into the real world, they're not going to get one hundred thousand dollars to make a short film. Right. That's just not going to happen. So it's almost like they stepped into bizarro land. Right. Like and they they had a good, great time. But hey, guess what? Reality is. 5,000, 10,000 at most is what you'll be able to scrape together. So you'll never have this experience again, right? Like this is not real. But then I thought to myself, is it $100,000 to make a short film? Or is it maybe 
ten to twenty thousand dollars, which is still a lot, but ten to twenty thousand dollars to make a short film, but eighty to ninety thousand dollars worth of mentorship. Mm. Right? Because the people that they're working alongside, whether they're directors, producers, cinematographers, wardrobists, um, makeup, these people charge most likely a lot more than these independent filmmakers would ever be able to afford to pay, right? And collectively, that crew might actually be worth that amount of money, right? So the short film itself might be six minutes, nine minutes, 12 minutes long. And you think to yourself, how in the world could you spend $100,000? But there's $100,000 worth of experience there, right? There's $100,000 worth of expertise. There's $100,000 worth of connections and relationships that otherwise you would not have been able to get. Okay, so, so let me, let me yeah. get clear on this. If you get the money and start to make your short, you they're basically going to fill out your crew for you yep. and maybe even your cast with these known entities. Correct. So the $100,000 is to get those people paid. Exactly. Yeah. And and again, it's I think, you know, it gets them paid, but, it, you know, it's also like gets them paid for what? Right. They're not just shooting like you're not there as a filmmaker, writer, director just to make the product. You're there to learn. Right. Like this is. Yeah, but, but how do you how do you feel education. about that? I don't know how I feel about it, because this is a it's almost philanthropic in nature. So the idea that you would you would bring your pay rate to the table feels a little bit icky. It does, but I think that you know the partnership with Indeed. I think that's where you start to see it's like, mm-hmm. you know, well maybe that's what Indeed is also bringing to the table, right? They're saying that they want to invest. Now I could there's a whole other conversation about that that I could get into that. You know, I, I, sometimes I got to be careful, right? It's like, again, you say, it can be icky. You know, like how much do you want to expose the ick when there is actually good stuff I, happening? I love Lena Waithe. I mean, I, yeah. to, to me. Yeah, exactly. But even on the Indeed side, right? Let's say they finance this, mm-hmm. right? So let's say there were 10 films for $100,000. It's a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So Indeed invested. Oh, let's say they didn't invest. They actually had a philanthropic donation to advancing BIPOC filmmakers, right? And that sounds like a very good thing, right? You 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 gave, you donated a million dollars to these BIPOC initiatives. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yep. Okay, let's play devil's advocate real quick, and then I'm going to jump out. Because, again, <laughs> this could have been all in the up and up, and I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. Well, I it could be on the up and up and great. still be, and still be uh, have, its, have its intentions in a few different buckets, you know? Right. So I look at that and I say, you know, one could say a million dollars and you only got 10 films? Mm-hmm. How many more BIPOC filmmakers could have been supported if they had broken that thing down into $10,000 per short film, because that even right. for some people is a lot of money. For sure. Now, 
they could not necessarily have been mentored through the process. They wouldn't have access to the cast and the crew and the same types of equipment. But a lot of independent filmmakers don't actually need that to get their stories out there. Right. So if it was about the stories, yeah, break that million dollar up into 10,000 chunks and you just gave voices. You just get it's like it's one thing to to have somebody yell kind of in an alleyway and try to get some of that echo that's coming off of the walls. You know, that's your 10 films. But give them a platform, give them give them a stage and give them a microphone that's got these huge speakers attached. That's what you would have done if you'd broke it down into 10,000. Then the reverberation of the filmmakers and the BIPOC community would have been loud. And you would have had, you know, hundreds. You would have actually would have, would have had thousands of films created by the BIPOC community, right? So, again, I get the benefit, right, to these 10 filmmakers. And you can take nothing away from them. They learned so much. They did such great work. Uh, we thank Lena Waithe. We thank Indeed for doing that. But... How I feel about it, oh, man, if they'd given 10000 and made that happen and just sent that message, get those voices out there, that would have been amazing. Yeah, it, it, it really would have been. And maybe Indeed is trying to compete with LinkedIn and Career, uh, career Builder, sorry, yep. at the same time. There's another one, uh, Monster, yeah. I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. so at the, at the same time, and maybe they're trying to uh, get people to sort of Look, post your careers on Indeed, a profile, use the contest to get a ton of email, things like that. How do you really entice it? What's a what's a really great honeypot? Lena Waith and a hundred thousand dollars and all these advisors. Um, you're you're doing it through Hillman. I mean, that's incredible, right? So that's a good thing. But it, but I'll also have in the back of my mind what happened recently. I think on Friday, you had David Beasley who is the head of the World Hunger um, Association or fund. And he got on a news program. I can't remember exactly which one. And he was calling out billionaires saying, hey, we could solve world hunger and world poverty tomorrow if the billionaires would just take a fraction of their income and, and give it to us. Um, just calling them out, right, for mm -hmm. you know, the, the hoarding the sense that they're hoarding this. Now, of course, that's not the entire story. Most of, if not all of the wealthiest people in the world have all of their wealth in stock. And if they go sell large uh, swaths and chunks of their stock, then their stock will go down. And then everyone that's a holder of that stock will lose money and it'll all be because of them. That's actually an SEC investigation. Most people don't have never gone to a formal business school, so they have no idea that that's just something a CEO isn't can't just do. And so they never like realize that that wealth until they really need to have it. But anyway, Elon responded to David Beasley and said, "I will sell off six billion dollars worth of my stock right now if you can, if you Guaranteed. tell me it'll solve if you if you tell me it'll solve world hunger, world poverty, with the caveat." that David had to show precisely where the money went. He didn't want to do it. We can't do it. He didn't want to do it. <laughs> and, here, and, then, and then later on the day we find out that they raised, he asked for $6 billion. They raised $8.4 or $8.6 the year before, and we still have poverty. 
Where did the $8.4 billion go? And why are children in Africa still hungry? Why is there still poverty poverty in, in the Congo? Why is there still poverty in the Gambia? Why are these things happening if this one organization whose job is to end world hunger? Do you realize that the production of corn and soy is so efficient that the government and farmers make money producing it? It has a negative cost. It seems impossible. So where did that $8.4 billion go? <laughs> and it's just crazy when you get called out. You're like, yeah, show me where you spent the money and where it's all going, and I'll give you the money. We'll solve world hunger tomorrow, baby. And then you can't do it. So it's interesting if you want to if you want to tie that back because I have an interesting tie. I don't know if that's where you were where you were going. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting. It's like some and I won't name them, right? But some other philanthropic organizations mm -hmm. that spend a lot of money. You won't right? name them. Get a, no, I will not name them. They will remain nameless. Uh, they they get a lot of money and they spend a lot of money on awareness of the issue. Mm -hmm. But they spend little to no money on resolving the problem. They got to have something to do tomorrow, Nick. Exactly. <laughs> so $8.4 billion probably went into creating a very strong awareness campaign. Yeah. Great, great marketing <laughs> campaign. Exactly. And, it, you know, it, it seems like it's a very good thing to do. Right. It seems like a very positive, impactful effort to make people aware of the challenges and to have them then donate. Right. Based off of their. I awareness. think I know which I know which group you're talking about. I've already <laughs> figured it out. And it starts with an S. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. yeah and it's so, true. If you saw that, yes. if you saw that balance sheet, it would be probably 60, 80 percent marketing. Exactly. And it is. It is. So. But yeah, so that's the thing with this again is that you know programs like this, uh, which I think again, you know, hat goes off, and you know, we're we're not um, kowtowing at all to to Lena Waith or Indeed in this. I think the reason why we're kind of playing both sides is that I think there are multiple sides to be played in this, and there's potential opportunities to do more, right? To do things bigger, or for organizations to take on a different, basically a different take on this, which is I think it did bring visibility to the capabilities of BIPOC filmmakers. I think you got to see what they were able to do if they had some cash and some expertise. Exactly. Now, were all these films phenomenal? No, I'll say that. Were they great? Yes, right? They did a great job. But this, for these filmmakers, there's a lot of young filmmakers, right? This is maybe one of the first, second, third steps they've taken in a career or a journey of 50 or 1,000 steps. And they are that much further along their way because of this program, right? But I think for me, I would love to see these, you know, more impactful opportunities when there's this kind of money at play, a million dollars, two million, whatever it is, to say, let's give more of these folks a chance. Let's, you know, allow more of them to get their voices, their artistry out there into the world. Uh, because again, if you're giving 10 people a shot and you know, maybe just one of them is, you know, one of the greats of their time. Well, give a thousand people yeah. a shot. Let more right? people, invite more people <laughs> into the dance. Yeah. Right. Like let's like if we have to rent out a bigger gym, 
let's bring them all in so they can come and enjoy the enjoy the prom along with exactly. everyone else. Let's see what happens if if everybody gets to suck at the teat and see how they do. Now, what's funny is that from an investment POV, where we come from, I like to see a filmmaker founder or what we call a founder filmmaker. I like to see them make it short for no money. Yep. See, that's... And, 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 <laughs> and the filmmakers that we've given money to and that we're so attracted to seem to just be able to make these incredible movies with just the resources they have. And so it makes you feel like, well, what would happen if we gave them a check? Then what would they create? And they, for the most part, created really awesome work. So I think that's the thing. And I would say the filmmaker that needed the money to make anything is probably the worst of the ones. And then when I think about it in my head, like, yeah, okay. Like they have the least in ingenuity and technical skill. Right. So yeah. it is, it's this weird thing. It's like, yeah, you get the money you go do your thing and it ends up being maybe practice. I don't know. But if you yeah. really wanted a, a, a future in film or indie film and you wanted to excite an investor, it just feels like, it feels like you go out there and make something with what you had and, and then say, hey, look what I made for nothing. Now, now write me a check for $100,000 and see what I do. It feels like a, it's like a more yeah. bonsai strategy to me. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, it's like you said, it's the ingenuity, right? I was like, what can you do? Cause I think there's for the filmmakers that, that really make it, it's about like the film is their life. Mm -hmm. They're going to find a way a hundred thousand dollars. Like you said, it's almost like it's icing on the cake because yeah. it doesn't matter whether they get that or not. They're going to bring their stories to life. And the wonderful thing about filmmakers who are able to do that is that, as we've said probably a thousand times, they cannot do that alone. So they have to go out and create a team to bring these stories to life. And if they're making it to, for no money or for little money, that means all those people aren't getting paid. Exactly. There's power in that, right? There is something significant that shouldn't be overlooked that they were able to bring people together around either a, a topic, a subject, the filmmaking process itself, and then make something phenomenal. Yeah. That's what you want to fund, in my opinion. Yeah. It isn't that writer or director who submitted their, you know, their application and they got in and they get to work with these, you know, great people now. It's that team, right? That team that gets to, that got together, stayed together, you know, just made it work because if they can do that with nothing, they'll be amazing with something. Yep. And you want to give them as many at bats as possible because they'll just be yep. great. Let's talk about Facebook changing their name to meta and what it could all mean uh, for creators and for the world. I'll start just by saying Mark Zuckerberg is kind of a scary guy. Zucks is a, is, he's a scary yeah. guy. Uh, there was a there was a meme going around on Twitter that said, "What would humans put on their bookshelf?" Oh, I got it, barbecue sauce. He had a barbecue sauce on the bookshelf behind him during his presentation uh. because he doesn't know how to just to be a normal boy. 
just be a normal boy, Zucks. Like, it's okay. <laughs> so he's trying really hard. And look, full credit, it was, it was a high-fidelity presentation. And what he was saying there, uh, depending on how you view him, I think, yep. was either terribly exciting or terribly terrifying. I personally don't think that Zucks cares about anybody but Zucks. And I, I, th I think that if you give him your data, he's going to sell it. That's my general feeling on, on Zuckerberg. That's the business model. Yeah. And yeah. I think it just goes beyond like he doesn't, he doesn't have an ethos the way that like Tim Cook at Apple does. Right. There's not an ethos. And even Google, when they started, when, when uh, Sergey and Larry started, that it was, the whole thing was do no evil, right? Like, mm -hmm. like that was their whole thing. Now, I don't know if they do that now, but back then they started with an ethos. I don't think, you know, Zucks didn't start with that. He started with how can I use my expertise in coding to get like that was his, that's how Facebook started. Like, how can I overcome my lack of game through my acumen in coding and technology? So it started at this really unusual place. So anyway, they changed your name to Meta. They had to do it, Nick. They looked at the playbook and said, oh, that's the Google playbook. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, I can't go to Congress one more time and testify. I just can't. I can't do it again. So we need to look at Google's playbook, like how they created Alphabet, and then they had Google underneath. They're going to create Meta, and then they're going to have their family of apps on one side, including Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and they will have Oculus and Portal and their other hardware pieces. Uh, on the other side, they'll run these video games like GTA. Through there. That was the most awkward conversation ever, by the way, between the <laughs> lady representing GTA, uh, Grand Theft Auto, Grand and Theft Mark Auto. Zuckerberg. And like how they didn't know which camera to look at. It was, it was, we're spoiled by Apple presentations, honestly. Everybody's trying to do what Steve Jobs sort of birthed into the world. And no one ever just does it really well and gets to that place. But, but that's how it's going to be. And it really is just about not being broken up for being a monopoly. And it's about Zucks never having to go to Congress and testifying again. I really wouldn't be surprised if, uh, he takes a different role in the company. And it's hard to say. He he wants control. That's what he wants. So it's hard to say if he'd do that. But but that would be the full like Larry Page move, right? Like would be to like move myself out of here, go buy an island somewhere, and just or just and just say sit back no and watch watch Google be... or be, do what Bill Gates did. Like let me remove myself yeah. from Microsoft. We'll let Sanjay take over. Um, Wait, was that is that the same? Who who's the guy who runs uh, Microsoft now? Well, that I think uh, it's that's him now. Gupta, but it was is that his name? No, 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 no not him. <laughs> not Gupta. Not Gupta. Uh, but no, no, no. But it was no, no. what's um, his name? He's so he's so awesome. I actually love him. Yeah, I can't remember his last name. I, I can't remember his last name either. I'm yeah, that's the because it was it wasn't him immediately. I think there was an interim before him. There was, there was, there were a few, but I'm saying right. Bill pulled back. Because exactly. then he didn't have to go to Congress anymore. Yes, yeah, Satya. Satya. Nadella? Nadella. Yes. So, yeah, Bill didn't want to go to Washington. He didn't want to go to Capitol Hill anymore. He didn't want his company broken up. They did it anyway. But they, that that's kind of the playbook. It's out there. They did that. Boom. And now 
we have to deal with sort of the execution side where he sort of proves that this isn't about what I just said it's about. See what I mean? So now he has to mm-hmm. go out and do these things in the metaverse. And you have, you asked me earlier, what if we're already in the metaverse? And I just started thinking, what if that's like asking, you know, what if we're in a Russian doll of simulations? Yeah. To me, like, like the universe that atoms live in is a simulation. And then whatever level is above that is a simulation. And then, and we're all aware of it, but it's like a Russian doll. So anyway, give your thoughts on the metaverse, Nick, and, 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 and this move by Facebook. Yeah. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know what it is yet. It's a weird thing. You know, it's like, everyone's going to be a part of the metaverse and it's the beyond the 2d universe, I think is how they're saying it. Right. So what is it? Is it 2d? Is it 3d? Is it XD? Is it some new D that they've invented? You know? So I think about like, like I asked you, it's like, maybe we're already in it. And I just think about the people who are just immersed in Facebook. Right. So like, think about it. It's like people, you say, Oh yeah, she's on Facebook. I mean, you're on it. How are you on it? Like, you <laughs> is it a place? Is it a planet? Like, is that a place? You know, like, is that a place you're in? And if you think about when people are on Facebook, they're not present, right? So they are somewhere else. So yeah, it's a different place. It's a they, where they live. They interact. There's different ways of communicating, right? When we talk to each other, we have eye contact. We have body movements. We have all sorts of stuff. You've got emojis, you've got thumbs up in the metaverse, right? In the Facebook universe, who knows what the next thing is that you're going to have. Maybe you put an Oculus mask on and then you're standing inside Facebook and then a comment comes by your face, like a train, you like it, but it's it's going by fast. It's going by fast. So you pick up a heart emoji and you throw it at it. Yeah. But maybe you swipe through your and then comments. It splashes that way. on the on the message train. Right. But maybe you swipe through your comments. And now instead of putting a, a like, if you are wearing your Oculus and I'm wearing my Oculus, we're both on Facebook, right? We're both in the universe. Mm-hmm. Digital universes know no space nor time. So I can be with you anytime I want, right? So mm-hmm. if I want to like something that you have, I can just go and give you a high five. Yeah. I can hug you. I can digitally hug you in this universe that we will we were already in, right? Because people are already giving digital hugs, right? By doing yeah. the heart. I can't tell you how many people lost friends and family on Facebook during Trump's administration. Oh, of course. And during, now imagine, during the pandemic specifically. Now imagine you've got Oculus. Mm-hmm. So now it's not just, I can't believe you said that, you know, and what do you mean? And blah, blah, blah. It's, oh no, I'm going to put the goggles on. Let me put that. I'm coming. I'm going to come talk. You got your goggles on? Because I'm about to give it to you. Right. And we're about to have a one-on-one conversation. But guess what? Every conversation that's had in the metaverse is recorded. Right. So you're going out of your 2D into this 3D, 4D, XD world of the metaverse and you're not realizing and maybe don't care. Everything you're doing is being recorded. Everything that you are is now part of the metaverse. Right. I don't know if you want 
Zuckerberg and to a lesser degree, Sheryl Sandberg having that stuff. That's all. I think that the people who are in there now, like people who, what do you say? People who stay on Facebook, they're going to stay in the metaverse. Like they're yeah. not going to care. They don't think about stuff like that. They don't think about how, how it's going to affect filmmaking their lives. Facebook groups work. That could be interesting, right? For filmmakers. Like I think we are part of 15 different, maybe 20 different filmmaking groups on Facebook right now. And it's really difficult to keep up with all, everything that happens within them. A lot of times it's just, Hey, I'm looking for a gaffer. I'm looking for someone to do hair and makeup. Hey, yeah. uh, does anybody know any acting roles, things like that. But if I put my Oculus headset on, can I walk into the group? Well, here's the other thing. And then interact. I guess if, Can I make a film all, with these people in real time? Or if they're all there. actually out of time, out of time and space, as you put it? So I think that's potentially the next step of things, right? Which is weird and crazy, but it's his own, again, own digital universe where it's endless. Like, right? So like why, you said not? You why can't you draw digital, something together? Right. You said you could give me a digital hug, right? Yep. And I didn't have to be online because my avatar was in there, let's say. Can my avatar be imbued with skills? So if I if if I go if I go into a filmmaking group and I want to make a movie, and in real life, let's say our friend Dustin Hire, in real life he's a DP and a director, but he, his avatar also has those skills. No, I think his so can avatar. I, can I go talk to his avatar and then him shoot a movie with me in virtual space? No, I think his avatar would ping, would be a ping, basically. It's like you can interact with the avatar, but the avatar would constantly ping him. He basically would be getting the messages, mm. right? So you would be speaking to his avatar and his avatar might just give you, you know, canned responses back like a bot, you know, but he'll get the messages. So and if he like, gets oh, the crap, messages. Chris is there. Let me log Oculus, in. And, I'm in. And then can yeah. he pick up a digital camera and use it the way he would use a real one? I guess that's here, my question. And here's what I'm thinking. And it's, it's a, again, this is we're, we're kind of like envisioning the future for, Met, for Metaverse if they haven't it's already like, done it. It's like not the fifth wave, as we always say. This is like the maybe the sixth wave. Exactly. Because think about it. If I want to make a... so Okay. If I'm in this digital universe that has no space nor time and yet can replicate the real world, right? Yeah. Through images and so on and so well, forth. Well, through AI as well. Right. So now I can have a digital set, a digital location. So then why can I not then have a digital camera? Yeah. That I can then take video or stills of the set. It just has to simulate yeah. something. Yeah, and this right? has been around so for a long I can time. This is, what the, this is what the motion app was, the companion app to Final Cut was right. for years. So if you can, if you can so there's there's I don't even call it if it's the rub, but it's this idea that maybe the the vision is we don't want you to live outside. Yeah, I actually heard a commercial, and I forget for what for what company it is. But it really stuck out to me and it upset me. It was, it was I think it was this morning at the end of the ad said, uh, never leave home. 
almost demanding you mm. to never leave home. I think it was like the the new ads that Keenan Thompson is pushing. He's got like a new brand he's working for, and I forget the I forget what the brand is, but these commercials have been coming on a lot. Like he's he's all over the place, and I think it said never leave home, and it's like that was that was not an ask. That, that was like <laughs> that was an this imperative. Is, this is what we're trying to do here. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. It was a service that brings something to your door. It was a, a true car where you can buy a car and they'll yeah, deliver it okay. to you yeah. the Tesla style. And the whole idea is we just need your information. We'll bring everything to you. You don't have to leave. And because we're bringing it to you, we have sort of the holy grail on you that we need for marketing, that holy grail of marketing where you're, you're, you're just suckling at the, at, you know, like at the service, the teat of the service. And you don't need to leave the house and have a real experience. This idea that you go into Meta and you get in a fight with your friend who's a Republican, right? Or something like that. And then you say some foul things or they say some foul things to you and you never had to meet in person. Mm-hmm. To have this disagreement, you didn't have to call them on the phone. You can't even truly verify who said what truly because you won't meet them to say, Hey, did you write that? No, I got hacked. Oh, you did. Right. Yeah. Like you don't know. Oh, no, that was my girlfriend on the computer. She just, she's never liked you. So she wrote something. <laughs> like you, you can't even confirm it. So right. I mean, we're just because you're never going to leave the house. So all these things can now happen. Human interaction is becoming less and less human. Yeah. And my, my biggest concern, of course, is the idea that, you know, people won't want to leave because you can do a lot in the metaverse. Again, it's, it's all digital, right? And we're just, I'm just throwing meta out there just because we're talking about this. It could be whatever this digital universe, we could work there, right? We're, We're working virtually now. Right. So the next step of virtuals, like we don't have this camera situation and mics, we just Oculus up and then we're in a conference room together. Yeah. I right? could see I could and, see myself working for Zucks. I really can't see myself doing this. I could see a person wor- working for Zucks and the job is to be the virtual guide for the metaverse. Yeah. For, for meta. And so you just run into these guys, almost like a video game where you get information where it's always some farmer work like selling oranges outside of his hut. It gets you a little bit of information. That's what you would do. That's what the AI would probably be. Yeah. They'd give you some money, but per hour. But the reason it'd be great if it was a person is because it'd be validation that people, people are doing it, not just AIs. Right. But the thing is, so, so my thing with this universe, right, if you will, for our audience is that I do believe that there's going to be some sense of content being create, created for the universe, yeah. right? And that content, who knows what types of shapes and forms it will take, but I think that's the idea, right? Create not for the universe, create <laughs> for the metaverse, right? And so you'll have to learn a different set of skills, you know, it'll be new platforms, whether they're programming platforms, they're, you know, digital media platforms, 
you know, instead of using, again, a camera, you're going to use some sort of avatar with Oculus or whatever, but it's a new immersive experience that they're going to try to create. Now we'll see, you know, we'll see if it's, you know, disruptive enough to change things or disruptive enough that people are like, no, like you might've been yeah. ready, but we're not ready. Who knows? But we'll, yeah. we'll see. I, I think there'll always be human creators. I think the value of being a human creator will never go away regardless of, of what AI comes along or what machine learning AI comes along. But where that content will go, now that's up for grabs. Uh, yeah. where, where will that content show? And right now there's a little bit of a cold war, right? Like, so Facebook has pushed their chips to the center on VR. Google's pushed their chips to the center on their X program with AI and Apple's pushed their chips to the center of the table on AR. So they want you to create a movie and then have it show up in AR wherever you point your phone at or your yeah, tablet. Augmented at. reality. Right. Right. And we'll see which one wins out. There's a lot of people that think that AR will win out because people will be more comfortable, especially in the short term, let's say in the next 20 years, far more comfortable living in the real world where they're not disoriented, where they can fully understand whether we're in a simulation or not, Nick. That's right. Our understanding is that we're not in a simulation. So we have this thought that I am actually physically holding this phone and doing something. I'm manipulating the world that I'm in versus being manipulated in a world that was created for me. Yep. But we'll see. I know I've used VR a few times. I've used Oculus a bunch of times. And I've had a blast every time I've done it. Uh, the best engineers in the world will come and, and work on this as long as, you know, it's a good corporation to work for. And the, the truth, bottom line truth is, is if that technology doesn't work because Facebook is a toxic place to work, then it'll work somewhere else. Exactly. So that's yep. the whole thing. Uh, so much to dig in. We could probably talk about this for another 45 to 50 minutes, but maybe for the next indie talk, which, uh, Perhaps we'll start doing every single day, as I mentioned at the top <laughs> of this conversation, just so we can keep rolling. Uh, but at the very least, you know, you're going to get another one of these in two weeks. Yeah, uh, for sure. Lo lots of incredible interviews to come. I'm super proud of the interview we did with Alex Schmitter. Everyone should go listen to that. Uh, you will learn so much about the LGBTQ community and and what they're really trying to accomplish and, and some of the double standards that we have and hypocrisies that we have out in culture. Um, interviews, daily indie talks, newsletter, which should roll out the first Friday of November. So this upcoming Friday. So we'll have our newsletter, our first newsletter, Nick, rolling out. I'm super excited. We'll see where this goes. I yep, think always good stuff. I coming think we're going to bring a ton of value through that. So so much is growing and changing. There's a hundred more updates I could give, but you know I don't want to you know belabor the point at the end of yep. the indie talk. But a lot of stuff coming. So look out for a newsletter this Friday. Look out for potential daily indie talks, or at least every other day indie talks in 2022, if not sooner. Look out for more podcast series um, or Mistakes in the Making series is coming back very, very soon. Super excited about that. That's going to be great for you guys to listen to. And, of course, 
more deep dive interviews with the best and brightest people in independent film across the world. So, Nick, uh, let me tell everybody where uh, they can find us. You can reach out to us, engage with us, if you will, by sending us an email at contact at bonsai.film. We promise to get back to you if you email us at contact at bonsai.film. Thank you to everyone who does reach out to us, our super fan, our small cohort of super fans. We love you. Many, many free things are coming uh, your way. Uh, trust and believe. If you want to find us on social media, we're at underscore Bonsai Creative. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. And rate and review for sure on Apple Podcasts. Can't forget to do that. I always seem to forget to do it, but it's so easy. It's like you go to Apple Podcasts, you go to the search field on the right, you type in Make It, Bonsai Creative. Our podcast will come right up. And then it'll say Review. And you just click where it says Five Stars. Like that whole process I just said out loud, Nick, that's all there is to it. Yep. Super you easy. just do it. Boom. Five and stars. Then, and then if you, yeah, five, five stars. stars. And then if you <laughs> want to scroll down and leave a few words, you just leave a few words. Super, super easy. So please do that. And also visit our website at bonsai.film. So www.bonsai.film to learn everything about the metaverse. Oh, I mean, the universe of <laughs> Bonsai Creative and the upcoming metaverse of Bonsai Creative. www.bonsai.film is where to find us. Thank you for all the support. And Nick, thank you so much for joining on the Indie Talk. Can you leave us with the credo? Of course, man. To all our filmmaking friends and family out there, we say, as always, be better, be creative, and be engaged. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon, Nick. Yes, sir. All right. Peace. All right, man. Take it easy. You too. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.